Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that keeps you and gets you up to date with what is going on with your Houston Texans. I'm Mark Vandermeer on Texans All Access, here from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, right across the hall from the locker room. Texans getting ready to get on a charter tomorrow to go to the Big Apple, the metropolitan area of New York. We can't say New York because it's really New Jersey, but it's close enough, right across the river. And some things to keep an eye on. Let's get to the injury report right away. And by the way, we'll get John McClain in here in just a moment, making his way over. Opening segment, one gigantic hot read presented by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Call 1-800-947-AUTOGEICO.COM. All right, injury report information here. Some of the highlights. I'm not going to give you every name. Deontay Foreman did not participate in practice today, not injury-related. Bernardrick McKinney also not injury-related. I don't know what's up with McKinney. Let's hope for the best there. Foreman, I would doubt he would play. I know a lot of you have been asking about it. You asked on Cooler Talk. But Foreman is on the 53-man roster. We'll just see how it goes with him week to week. Limited today. Kiki QT is questionable. That's not good, but we'll see. Zach Fulton, questionable. Really hope he can go. And Andre Howe with the ankle, questionable as well. Some notes about the New York Jets. By the way, one other note for the Texans. DeAndre Carter, full go at practice today with the evaluation for the concussion that he was undergoing on Sunday in the game against the Colts. That's great news that Carter's going to be good to go to return kicks. And if QT's out, he can be that slot receiver. So this is good news. For the Jets, they've got three prominent players out. Among them, Isaiah Crowell, their running back who's got a toe problem now, two other running backs are banged up, Trenton Cannon, and also, let's see, ooh, somebody else is right off the injury report, Eli McGuire. He's actually full participation today with the ankle, so he's going to play. But Crowell had been doing pretty well for them, and that's all I'm going to give you on the injury report right now. Later on in the show, John Harris with some nuances of this matchup, but let's get to him now. The General John McClain here in studio and, General, what do you make of this one? Coming off the loss to the Colts and a relatively short week to get ready for the New York Jets at the Meadowlands. Unlike the rest of us who focus on the last game all week, and uh, the players always put it behind them after they watch the film the next day and they move on to the next team. So Bill O'Brien and his coaches make sure that they are concentrating on the Jets, the possibility of being upset, they don't talk about it, but that's always a possibility. You think Pittsburgh thought he was going to lose at Oakland? Mm-hmm. Of course not. And so I think that uh, the only way the Texans would lose this game is if they went up, committed a bunch of turnovers, and put themselves in bad field position, and turnovers have not been an issue. Mm-hmm. They are plus nine now, yep, and uh, which puts them up among the league leaders. Amazing. They won the turnover battle against the Colts and lost the game even though it was just one. But um, I think that Romeo Cornell, this is something I'm writing about uh, for tomorrow, is uh, he'll have an interesting plan drawn up for Sam Darnold, as he did Baker Mayfield in the first half when they confused him. And then he kind of took his foot off the pedal in the second half. And uh, they also played Josh Allen in the playoffs right now. They'd be playing against Lamar Jackson. So I'm writing about the the rookie quarterbacks. The only one they won't face going in the first round was the only one they can't face is Josh Rosen from Arizona. But I'm interested to see the plan for them. I'm interested to see can the Jets get pressure on Watson? Can the Jets shut down the run the way the Colts did? Um, I don't think so, but I think the Texans should win this game. 
unless they won four in a row on the road, I believe, unless they turn it over a lot, which if they, if they haven't, why would they start now? Yeah, I think if they don't turn it over, they're in great shape in this game, but sometimes that's a big if. you got to hold on to the rock, especially up there, and I know the weather's not that big a deal, but, uh, you know, you're on the road in the northeast in December. In East Rutherford, New York, the temperature's supposed to be a high of 50, and so the game is at 425. It'll be dark shortly after It'll kickoff. It'll be cold. So the, it, the temperature will drop. But as you know, Mark, there's always a swirling wind in that mm-hmm. stadium as it was in Giant Stadium. Sometimes it's really strong, sometimes it's not. And um, so rain in the 40s is cold. Yeah. And and if it's windy too, then that's bad conditions. And I looked up Watson last year in Seattle. It was 50 at game time. Remember, um, and it was started to miss, and he threw four and four yards. And to him, he just shrugs his shoulders. And he said yeah. he played in cold weather in Boston College and then in uh, December in the ACC championship game in Charlotte. And he had a little snow in high school, but I kind of think it was just a, a little mist of snow. He yeah. said certainly nothing like it is up in New York. But um, Football players love it when there's a little weather. They I think, do. I think they feed off Although of I don't think they like rain, and I don't think they like wind. I don't think right. cold and snow, like it was in Green Bay two years ago, that was a winter wonderland with big old snowflakes coming straight down, and that's not what they're going to get there. And I'm thinking by the second half it's going to be pretty cold because it's in the dark. You know, they're close to water. And uh, but that's not going to be a factor against the Jets, I don't I, think. I remember in '04 when they went to Chicago and it was around zero degrees and they won that game late in the season. The next week they were in Jacksonville and it was in the 30s, but misting and a little windy, and it was just colder. It just felt cold. It felt worse because I don't think you were ready for it. You meaning me? <laughs> I don't think I was as ready for it as I was the week before, where I totally geared up for it. But anyway, that's besides the point. We, I think they'll be ready. We were both there for the coldest game in franchise history, three degrees at Lambeau Field. Mm-hmm. And they beat Aaron Rodgers when Chris Brown kicked that great field goal to win. And it wasn't windy that day. That was the coldest game the Texans have ever had. That's one of the coldest I've ever uh, covered. You remember what Schaub threw for that day? Nope. It was over 400 yards. In Green Bay, wow. In Green Bay. And he said because it wasn't windy. So never mind ball grip. He was fine. It wasn't windy, so they could throw the ball. They made a lot of plays through the air. And I think they'll be able to do that on Sunday, on Saturday, rather. But I'm really hoping they get the running game going again. And that was a big miss against Indianapolis that they couldn't run the ball. They did it better in the second half, but not well enough. Over 50 yards rushing in the second half without Watson's yardage because it wasn't much. So I think that they got to get that going. You're probably in agreement with me. Of course, and the line's got to be better because the line was terrible in this game. Uh, terrible run blocking and pass protecting. Indy's, Indy's front is better than people think. Mm-hmm. They've been really good against the run over the last six games, only giving up 92 yards once, more than 92 yards once. And I think they're getting better. How in the world they got shut out 6-0 at Jacksonville? Maybe Bizarre. Biggest mystery of the NFL season. But the Colts team we just saw beat the Texans by three is a Colts team that – Playing at Cowboys Sunday, they're favored. If they beat the Cowboys, then they got a easy one. But then they finish against the Titans. That game could be determined who makes that last wild card. It really could. It's going to be very interesting down the stretch here. And I think the Texans, the most interesting thing for them is just to beat the Jets. Just get that done. Get that tenth win of the season somehow, some way. Uh, but help me put that Colts game 
in a box and put it in the closet, put it on the shelf, put it away for a moment. What do you think happened that day to the Texans, really? I mean, when you when you look at it going in, the way you felt about it, what you thought about it, versus what played out that day. I said a month ago in my Friday mailbag, they asked me when I thought the losing streak went in, and I said against the Colts because it's going to be hard to beat Andrew Luck two times. He goes for 464 and 399. And uh, But even that being said, even though they couldn't run the ball, even though they struggled in pass protection, if they got the ball one last time, Clowney and jumped off sides, it would have been, what, 115 left, and maybe they'd have been at the 10-yard line, and Watson, though, as loves those situations, and Kaimi Fairbairn can kick it 55, 56 yards, it would have been a great, opportunity and speaking of opportunities had they won that game they would be in second place with a uh, inside track to a bye since the Patriots lost on that miraculous play but I think this time of the year crunch time after Thanksgiving is just so interesting as teams jockey for those playoff spots and uh, the Texans let's see they can clinch with a win but Pittsburgh and somebody else has to lose. I just read both. It's not like, oh, Miami. And Miami. Oh, for a wild card clinch. Yeah, for just making a playoffs. Yeah, but they won't know. I mean, they'll have to watch it on television, right? Because they're the early game. And uh, for, you'd think ordinarily, Pittsburgh, I, I don't know who picked Pittsburgh and New England. New England's lost four road games. Pittsburgh's lost three home games. Steelers have lost three in a row. Belichick has not lost back to back December games since 2002. That's a big deal. 2002 was the follow-up year for the first Super Bowl. Yeah. Ted Johnson was there. He contributed to those back-to-back losses. I remember that Patriot team, and it was a big disappointment. I think they were still 9-7. and seven. They still had a winning season, but they missed the playoffs. Uh, it, it was perplexing. That play that the Patriots lost on against Miami, how do you rate that one historically? I was at the Music City Miracle. I was watching the Immaculate Reception, the Hail Mary. Um trying to think i've seen so many great plays i think the one that was the most incredible in college was when uh, uh let's see cordell stewart oh when he threw his long pass mm-hmm. and michael westbrook uh, it was michael westbrook and it's not just hail mary's you know that that happens in the end zone but when a hail mary is not possible mm-hmm. and like this one and uh, Belichick just got killed because of his strategy. He had bad clock management in the first half, bad clock management in the fourth, having Gronkowski out there to knock down a Hail Mary when they weren't close to a Hail Mary. Hey, and I, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you bring this up because this is – and I'll take a mini tangent here. Nobody's perfect, you know, and I know everybody watches the Texans games, every fiber of it, and sure, sometimes there's – Something to criticize, no question, any NFL team, and that's my point, any NFL team. Belichick himself, the Super Bowl against Seattle, he screwed that up. They just got away with it. They did. He had to stop the clock there to preserve some time. He did. Just in case. I could not believe And then he said afterwards, well, we didn't want to give them any time to think. Oh, come on. Really? No. They're going to score there. You have to have that assumption so you have some time on the clock for the best quarterback of all time. You want Gronkowski when the ball's thrown in the end zone. That was going to be impossible. Somebody I was listening to, NFL Radio, said they thought that the Patriots, the Dolphins, would try a quick pass for another 10 yards and then give them enough room for Hail Mary. But as it was, it worked great. Teams work on plays like that. I remember the Music City Miracle 
when the Titans beat Buffalo, Jeff Fisher said they've been working on that play on Saturdays for years, and the players are like, oh, why do we have to keep doing this? And as Bill O'Brien, of course the Texans have theirs too, if he ever showed tape of these plays actually working, and he said yes. Because yeah. you tell them's one thing, but you show them that's something else to say, okay, it worked here, it could work for us when the time comes, although the odds are greatly against the team pulling that off. I heard you ask him that, and I liked his answer. Later in the week, during a full week, this is a short week obviously, but on a Saturday or a Friday, he'll start showing the guys some stuff like that. Because I, I think he likes to keep it entertaining, and he tells us that. Entertaining and informative and educational, but in a way that's going to make the guys continue to pay attention because you got to keep things fresh. This last game, had they gotten the ball back instead of Clowney had the penalty, they may have had to have a play like that themselves if yeah. they'd have gotten somewhere close to midfield and it's too far for a field goal. I and think they so. had a plan for it. Yeah, because that was third and a long one when Clowney jumped. If you stop now, this, it's a big if if you stop them on third down. But well, if you they do, were go- they had to run because if they trusted luck enough and it was incomplete, like the big play in the yeah, first game, risky. you're giving the Texans too much time. But if you right. run it and you get stopped, then obviously you run the clock down uh-huh. as much as you can. So the Texans, it was a two minute warning, so they probably would have gotten the ball back with about one ten or one fifteen on the clock, which is still good. And even though the Texans wouldn't have had a timeout, you know, so what? Here they we'll are. Never know. Here they are, nine and four. John is Watt the best defensive player on the field right now for the Texans. Is it Kareem? Is it J. Joe? Is it Tyron Matthew? Is it Clowney? I, how do we gauge this? Or is it just too close to call? every week? Every week I look at a Pro Football Focus and ESPN matchup, which I think is the best. And every time they put a front seven stat out there, Watt's in it. Clowney's not in it. Watt's in it. Mm. And and. And uh, while some other players have played well, you ask any coach that goes against the Texans' defense, it's all about what. What do you do about what? He gets double-teamed all the time. And I sometimes would like to see him lining up in the gaps next to the center like Clowney gets to do just to see what he could do. Let Let him stand up. And then go flying through that gap. What if Romeo? Or if they squeeze down on him, you get the outsides opening up. Put for him and Clowney on each side of the center, and yeah. stand him up. Boy, that center start peeing down his leg. Well, if you could get merciless from the outside in that case, and let Whitney Bach go from the outside, yeah. let somebody else go from the outside, but put those two right there in the middle, shortest path to the quarterback. Uh, he does do a lot of creative things, Rome. Oh, he There's does. No he does, but J.J. lines up outside on both sides where Clowney is the one that gets to do the most movement. I found it interesting Sunday night watching the Bears take on the Rams, and you have two former Texans defensive coordinators going at it with Vic Fangio and Wade Phillips. And I just I like stuff like that. I like watching those kinds of matchups. There's a lot of people talking about Vic as a head coach. Vic's not going to be a head coach. Vic's been had some great seasons before when people talked about it. Remember when he was at Stanford, he and Greg Roman, two former mm-hmm. Texans coaches working under Jim Harbaugh with Andrew Luck, and they parlayed that to come back to the NFL. But right now, the Bears, the Seahawks, the Bear, the Texans have not dominated a game in a great offense like the Bears did against the Rams. And it was, did you see now that there's a report by Ian Rappaport that Carson Wentz may not play the rest of the season, so you get 
could get Nick Foles next week. He won a Super Bowl, and uh, well, they could be eliminated by then because the Rams have them on Sunday night. Okay, General, let's get to some of the other action around the league. Chargers and Chiefs playing the Thursday night marquee matchup. What do you think? Boy, I can't wait to get home. Hope I don't run into any traffic. I want to be there for kickoff. Um, well, you can, can listen here on the radio. Can you imagine that um, if the Chargers win this game and get home field advantage in that little 28,000-seat band box, how embarrassing that would be to the NFL <laughs> when most of the fans there would be for the opposing uh, team? No, I, the Bolt fans would come out of the woodwork. The Bolt fans haven't come out of the woodwork. Oh, I don't gosh. see it. They're too mad at them. And I just, uh, what if Kansas City played there again in the first game of the season? When the Chiefs won, I saw a picture. It was almost all red. Sea of red. Sea of red. They travel. That would be such a black mark on the NFLs, and the NFLs got to be cheering for the Chiefs. And we all know Andy Reid's playoff record. He's won two playoff games in all the times he's been in with the Chiefs, and he lost last year at home in the playoffs to the Titans. And everybody says, well, this year's different because of Patrick Mahomes, and maybe it will be. Maybe they'll win the Super Bowl, but – uh, this is a big game. And the Chargers, Anthony Lynn, along with Matt Nagy, Bill O'Brien, and Pete Carroll, I think are the top four Coach of the Year candidates. And even though the Chargers finished strong last year, what impresses me the most is they have no home field advantage. It is impressive. They're not going and playing before a screaming crowd that gives them a three-point advantage. Most of the time, the opposing team has more fans. And, and being able to deal with that is a terrific coaching job. I think the Chiefs will win because they're at airhead. But Lamar Jackson came within three points of beating him. What might Phillip Rivers be able to do? What do you think of Mahomes? Um, I think he's fun. He's exciting. That no-look pass, I like. I just saw a ground-level view of mm. it. You know, what's the point? I, I know, mean, but just it's turn your head, but it's exciting. If they don't, you know, they'd love to have him in the Super Bowl. Oh gosh, they would. John Harris made a good point, though. Every quarterback coach in the country at any level just said, "Oh no, oh no." Their guys are going to try it. That's the last. It's hard enough to complete passes when you're looking right at the guy. Yep. But I think he's. I I love to watch him, and yep. uh, I just think on the road to the Super Bowl, somehow the Kareem Hunt, uh, the loss of him, fiasco of losing him is going to affect them more so, and to escape Arrowhead with a three-point victory over a rookie quarterback, that was uh, fortunate. Now they've got San Diego coming in. It wouldn't surprise – I'm sorry. The Los Angeles Chargers coming in. I do in. it too. We all do it. I don't even care anymore that I do it. Everybody knows who we're talking about. Yeah. And they should be in San Diego. They should never have left. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if Phillip Rivers doesn't lead an upset, which would – and I'm not sure about the tiebreaker they would have – split the series and uh, it's isn't it amazing that the patriots have lost four road games it's incredible they've been in um, i saw a thing they were 15 and one on the road in december or something it just they've been so good and if 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 the texans have to go to foxborough and there's a chance they will foxborough or kansas city if they're ever going to win in foxborough in our lifetimes this would be the time to do it this is not a great patriot team now, uh, I'll take that chance. I mean, just get me there somehow to the postseason, please. That would be lovely. All right, so other action. After the Texans take on the Jets, the Browns will play the Broncos. Now, this doesn't have a lot of marquee value, but i got to say this. The Browns have won three of four, and I'm thinking that Texans win. If we were doing college football here, 
I'd say that was a nice win after all. That was that was a more impressive win than you think, beating the Cleveland Browns at home the way they did it because the Browns have something going on, clearly, and they're going to be at Denver, and I would not put it past them to beat the Broncos. Do you know if Mayfield had not had those two pass plays called back because of penalties, he would have thrown for 447 yards in the second half. Yeah, that's really And then he had stuff. the great game when he just bounced back. Who did they just beat? Uh, they just beat Carolina. And they beat Carolina, and he only had like five incompletions. It wouldn't surprise yeah. me at all if he doesn't go into Denver and win this game. They're talking playoffs. They're winning out and having a shot. Players are speaking out. They want Greg Williams back and Freddie Kitchens as offensive coordinator. I got a hard time saying that they're wrong. I mean, you have to think that Greg Williams has a really great shot to win that job. Um, but I don't think that I don't think that's who they want. Well, but let me uh, – maybe winning out is too much to ask with three games to go for the Browns. But if they go two and one down the stretch, I, I think – I'm not going to say they're crazy not to do it, but I would think they should. John, Cowboys and Colts, did you pick that game in the last segment? You talked about it. Indy hosting Dallas. I'm picking the really Colts. Well. Yeah, I would Indianapolis. Too, Cowboys have, have won five in a row, and they've got great defense, great running game. Dak Prescott is committing too many turnovers, but he wins. Mm-hmm. I believe his yardage Sunday was – the most by a Cowboys quarterback since 78. Right. And But they don't want him doing that. They want to run the ball. But it's going to be a great matchup with their defense against Andrew Luck, and Luck will see if he can do to them what he did to the Texans. I hate rooting for Dallas, but I have to do it. You have to do it, of course. And I was rooting for them Sunday when they took on the Eagles because I wanted them to make the Eagles irrelevant by the time the Texans played. Them. You have to pick the Rams over my – actually, you know, you think about, okay – who do you pick based on who you want the Texans to play if they're the third seed? Well, if you're going to go You that don't want far, to play the Colts. You'd prefer to play Baltimore, a Tennessee, yeah, or Miami. Kill the Colts. Yes. No, I don't want to see Indy again. So if I'm thinking that far ahead, you know, hypotheticals. It's okay for us to do it. Yeah, we could do it. No, bring it up with Bill in the press conference. I'm sure yeah, he'll I'll love say, that. Bill, which one of those teams would you rather face yeah. in the uh, sure. wild card he'll round? And in the divisional response. round, would you rather go to Kansas City or New England? <laughs> Bill, can you handicap the <laughs> NFC for us? I actually want him to do that. I'm tempted during the show. Look, Coach, teams you're not playing, it doesn't matter. I want your opinion as an analyst on these games. No, he's not going to do it. Well, first of all, he is watching them because he's scouting oh, he teams knows. that he knows there's a chance they could play. I'll guarantee you he knows. Boy, he beat Miami. He right. split with uh, Tennessee, he split with Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and the only one he hadn't played that's in the running seriously is Baltimore, and I'll guarantee you, once he does that game plan, he's got he's got a eye on what the Ravens are doing too. Well, you think about scouting, they're playing the Eagles next week, so the Eagles have played the entire AFC South, and you're playing the NFC East, so all of that tape of Eagles playing this opponent and that opponent, opponents that you face, oh, the Redskins did this against them. That worked. We can do that. Or we can't do that, but we can do this. You know, all of these different combinations you can get off at watching that particular game tape. Patriots at Steelers, did you pick that one or not? I'm picking the Patriots because of that stat, because the Steelers, yeah. Roethlisberger's hurt. The Steelers just look like they're ready to implode. Now people are saying, fire Tomlin. What? They just have had one issue after another going back to Le'Veon Bell's original holdout. Chris Boswell slipped and missed a field goal at Oakland. They're bringing in two kickers to try what? out. Even though they just gave him like a $4 million a year contract. And he slipped. It's well, not it like he missed crappy it. Crappy Oakland turf uh, where they play baseball. They can't grow grass there. Connor, James Connor's still hurt. 
I know it's after baseball season. Run. I don't want the texts. They can't run, so um, I'm going with New England. They lost on a miracle. The Steelers got beat by the Raiders. Yeah, this is a very perplexing Steelers season. I thought they, I, everybody thought that they were out of the woods at one point, but they've gone right back in. The Titans are going to be at the Giants, so they'll play at the Meadowlands the day after the Texans take on the Jets. Back-to-back AFC South appearances on a weekend in New York. So what do you think of Titans-Giants? Giants have won three and four. Uh, Pat Shermer's done a good job. Everybody's ready to fire him, get rid of Eli, playing Kyle, play Kyle Lalletta. What they've guaranteed is Eli's going to be the quarterback again next year. Saquon Barkley's playing great. Offensive rookie of the year is going to come down to him and Baker Mayfield. All the people in New York act like it's over. It's Barkley, but that's the way they are. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't rule out Mayfield. The vote's not till after the season. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Giants don't win this game. It's the kind of game the Titans lose. They just beat up Jacksonville after Jacksonville shut out uh, Indianapolis. Right. So uh, Tennessee, this is a must-win for the Titans. If they lose this game, they want that last game in Nashville against Indianapolis to, well, first they'd like to have no meaning because they've already secured the wild card. But mm-hmm. let's face it, that game is going to have playoff implications probably for both teams, and they need to beat the Giants. I think I'm going to take the Giants just because they're at home. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how well they're playing lately, and it, does it make you feel better about the Texans losing? Look, I don't feel better about losing ever. So well, but Eli Manning played a great game in he that. Did. I mean, he, did. he was pinpoint, and everybody mm-hmm. thought, oh, boy, he's back, and then they were terrible for a long time. That That's not a tough loss because of the way he played. The tough loss will always be to Blaine Gabbert. Oh, and the gosh. special teams blunder. Yeah. yeah, week two, terrible. All right, so let's relive some things here. This is the first trip for the Texans to New York to play the Jets since 2012, Monday Night Football. They beat Mark Sanchez, they, uh, who won that game? Texans. Texans did. I remember that game where Sanchez hit the long pass on the sideline to beat them. That was 2010. Was that 2010? That was very painful indeed. That was with Rex Ryan, and then I remember the first game of Sanchez's career here. Yeah, that was not good either. Uh, so the Jets and the Oilers, you brought this up, 1980. The Oilers, quarterbacked by Kenny Stabler, go to Shea Stadium, and they lose 31-28. to Now, I heard you tell the story yesterday on Sports Radio 610. Uh, Fact-check guy here, Richard Todd did play. He played. Well, I thought. I think you you thought he was. Yeah, on I IR. thought he was on our. He played. For, so did Stabler really go out with Richard Todd before the game? They They're were both out somewhere in my in Manhattan. So they both go out and then they both played the next day. Now Stabler outduels Todd. He throws four touchdowns and four picks. Weren't they all four picks in the first half and four I don't touchdowns have that right in here, the second? I believe you. After he sobered up at halftime, mm-hmm. Todd. I don't remember if he was out late or not. And then Pat Leahy beat him in overtime on a field goal. That so, was the greatest turnaround I've ever seen by a quarterback that Kenny Stabler made in that game, and he'd had practice. Gosh, and the Oilers, that dropped the Oilers to 8-4 and four at the time. That 1980 season that we really don't talk about much. In fact, I saw a lot about it in that Stabler football life. 
that I watched that you were a part of on NFL Network. That was pretty cool. That was a really good team, and then they lost, of course, at Oakland in the wild card game. Stabler was terrible. And then Bud, uh, Bud Adams fired everybody, right? And Bud, Midnight Massacre. And, uh, why why fire everybody on, after a failed playoff appearance? Oakland went on to win a Super Bowl as Pittsburgh had done the previous two. Because Lad Herzig, the uh, financial guy, convinced Bud that uh, Bum Phillips was mortgaging the future and that they couldn't win. And if he'd make him the general manager, Bum was the general manager, he could work it all out. So he fired him, made Herzig GM at 34. He elevated Ed Biles from defensive coordinator. And they were a disaster between 81 and 86. Then 87, under Jerry Glenn. Jerry Glanville, they went to the playoffs seven years in a row under him and Pardee. We brought up Stabler. We always talk about Pastorini. Warren Moon comes in in the era you're talking about, of course, with the Oilers. Houston quarterbacks, John. Here's Deshaun Watson, year two. What are you thinking right now as we get to the close to the end of the regular season here with Deshaun Watson at the helm? I look back. George Blanda's in the Hall of Fame, but uh, by the time he came here and won the first two championships, they and they threw the ball all over the place. The AFL, yeah. With Charlie Hennigan and, and Bill Groman. They had a prolific offense, and George was great, but he was older at the time. And then he made such a name for himself going to Oakland as a backup quarterback and as a kicker. And then uh, Pastorini comes in at 7-1 and one and takes him to two championship games. And then Moon comes in in 1984, and Warren, he and the offense and the team struggle 84, 85, and 86. And then uh, – uh, and then they got really good. Warren's in the Hall of Fame. Steve McNair came in, third overall pick in 1995, mostly a backup for two years till they went to Nashville, and he was an MVP. And what Watson has done at this stage of his career, it, now they're like Pastorini, they did, Dan threw deep. He yeah. threw the deep to Kenny Burrow. One year they averaged like 50 yards on the touchdown plays between them. Wow. And uh, But Watson is hit this point of his career is off to a better start than all of them. A better start than all of them. A better that's, start than all of them. That's a great thing to say. I know it's a different quarterbacking era. We talk about quarterback rating, how that changes and everything, but I think it says a lot about well, his he's, ability. He's on a, a team that runs first. You know, they're not a pass-first team. They're right. a run-first team, which is good for him. And I can't wait to see what Brian Gain and, and Bill O'Brien do about the offensive line in the offseason. And can you imagine if Watson had the protection of some quarterbacks in the NFL where you can actually go back and hold a ball a second and throw it without guys being pushed back into him, which happens quite a bit. And, uh, and the offensive line has got to give him better protection. He's got to do a better job of not taking those long sacks. Because I know while you're broadcasting, I'll guarantee you you're thinking, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it, like the rest of us are. Or just go down. Mm -hmm. Don't keep holding the ball, trying to make a play, and then boom, you get obliterated. So, And he will improve at that. He said yesterday, I said, what do you want to improve on the most? He said his deep passing because he overthrew the two balls, but also not taking as many sacks. John, what do you have going on in the Chronicle? Let's see, for Friday, today I wrote about what they got to do to cut back on the deep pass, on all the long completions. And Friday I'm writing about the rookie quarterbacks they've gone against. Darnold will be three, a possibility of Lamar Jackson, and uh, and what they think about those rookie quarterbacks. And then I'll, we're moving everything up, our Sunday stuff, to Saturday because of the game. And 
Thank you very much, Mark. Enjoyed it as always. We always have fun here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, no matter what the situation. Okay, maybe down the stretch last year we weren't having quite as much fun as we possibly could have, but you know what I'm saying. It's a blessing to be here at NRG Stadium, right across the hall from the locker room. The Texans shoving off tomorrow morning to the New York area to play the Jets. And John Harris joins me now for a little look at not only that one, Johnny, but I want to get your thoughts on tonight. On the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the San Diego Chargers. Big picture here, though. The success of Mahomes. The success of Watson. Baker Mayfield. All these young guys. Jared Goff, to a certain extent, really doing well. Coming from the offenses they came from. I know they're all a little bit different. But has quarterbacking changed forever? The way that the pro evaluators are going to look at these college guys coming out? Well, all you got to do is go back and listen to what I said last year going into the draft. And that was I, – I thought that was the case heading into last year's draft. And it was one of the reasons why I sort of felt like Josh Rosen might be pushed down the quarterback listing because Josh isn't the kind of guy – although Josh is, is more athletic than I probably give him credit for because I have seen him make some plays. And he's going to end up being a really good quarterback because he's a tough guy and takes some hits because he'll stay in the pocket. But if you don't get out of the pocket and do something with your legs, forget it. You, you're just not going to have an opportunity to be – uh, a top-notch quarterback. The days of a pocket guy, just Dan Fouts, Dan Marino, Tom Brady-ish, just standing in a pocket. Now, I'll give Brady some credit. He does have over 1,000 rushing yards now. Yes. But – In a bunch of years, though. But I, I still – you look at the quarterbacks that are succeeding now. They can all do something out of the pocket. They, they don't have to – they don't have to run like Deshaun. They don't have to run like Carson Wentz. They don't have to run like uh, even Baker. And Baker doesn't even run all that much. You don't have to run like Lamar Jackson. You do at some point have to prove you can throw, but what's happening is because these guys can run, all eyes are going to them, and it's leaving receivers more open than they've ever been before. You got to be ready. And you, as a defense, it's you got to be able to stop the quarterback's running game with four or five guys, so that everybody else can be devoted to coverage. If you've got to use six and seven guys to be devoted to one guy spying, uh, one guy's in the short zone, but he's still looking. And I, and I saw it last last week with Andrew. There were times the Texans would spy Andrew Luck, but then there were times where underneath defenders would be locked in on Luck, like waiting for him to escape the pocket instead of trying to find receivers in their zone. So they get kind of mesmerized by him and know what he could do getting out of the pocket, and then receivers are open behind them. Wow. So it's the ability to run and move is changing the quarterback position henceforth. You know, Mahomes isn't going to run a ton, but because he can move and get himself out of the pocket, it's allowed him, and because he can throw the ball from so many different arm angles and whether he's looking at the receiver or not, it's changing everything. I mean, the Chiefs are able to do whatever they want to do because they can roll him out, they can boot him, they can put him straight in the pocket, and all of a sudden if they bring seven or eight guys and you miss him, he can get out of the pocket and make something move. And if he's got to go pick up five, six yards on the ground, he can do that too. So I think it's changed. I thought it last year, and I think it's gotten even more so with the way that Mahomes, Watson, Trubisky, uh, Mayfield, Allen. Now Allen's got to pick up his passing game. But he's made the Buffalo Bills relevant because he drops the throw. You never know what's going to happen. He had over 100 yards last week against the Jets. He had Allen over 100 a week before that. Uh, that's unbelievable. And he's me. got the strongest arm I've ever seen in my life. Now, he'll, he'll scatter shot it all over the place. But he doesn't look like a guy when you see him, like big, tall, big physical guy. You think, oh, he's going to be a gunslinger. He sort of is, but he's got the ability, and the Jets found this out. The Jets took wide rushes on him. And the well just opened up right in the middle, and they're all man coverage. He just took off 30 yards, and there it wasn't as if guys were were 
you know, running him down. I mean, he right. slid because the safety was in front of him. He's a fast guy. So I think quarterback position going forward has, has changed immensely. Guys like Justin Herbert at Oregon, I think is going to be a better prospect because he can do that. Mm-hmm. He can get out of the pocket. Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State is more a pocket guy. I, I you know, I'm curious to see what he's able to do. Drew Locke from Missouri is a guy that could get out of the pocket if you need to. He can move around. He can make some plays. He's not like Mahomes, but he's kind of a mix of Haskins and Herbert. So I think it's really I'm curious to see how teams look at quarterbacks going forward, but you better have that element. It can't all be that element, but you better have the 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 element of this guy can run and make put defenses on notice that his scrambles can really hurt you. Who do you like in Chiefs Chargers? I like Chiefs. Playing at home. Yeah. I, I just think playing at home on a Thursday night is such an advantage. We played up at Cincinnati two years ago. Last year. But, it, yeah, last year. It was the second game of the year. Yeah. The, the fatigue of the season hadn't kicked in yet. Right. We're talking about week 15. Yep. And the Chargers got to go without their running game, basically. You know who's going to – I mean, that start. But you know who's going to play running back tonight for the Chargers? Tell me. Blast from the past, Tremaine Pope. How about that? Oh, he's, my gosh. He's been on their practice squad, but Eckler's hurt. Melvin Gordon's hurt. They have Justin Jackson, the rookie. And they need somebody else, and so they brought up Tremaine Pope. I'm rooting for him to have a big game. Yeah, That'd I be too. wonderful for I would, him. I would love it. I think he had a really good preseason. He just kind of got squeezed by a numbers game. But I, I think the Chiefs. I just think if Hill is healthy, which it sounds like he's going to play, then I think it's tough to stop the Chiefs. If you're the Jets, how are you going to handle the Texans? What's the D coordinator line on this one? Every single time that Deshaun Watson goes back to pass, I should be bringing some – some sort of defensive back. Okay. I should be bringing some sort of. I mean, the Colts brought Kenny Moore, the star nickel, the basically the nickel position. Mm-hmm. They brought him probably five to seven times. I'm not sure that we picked it up effectively all those times. I know there were a few times we didn't pick it up at well, all. You know, they're going to be ready for it now. Though. Absolutely. I know we got. That's what I'm saying. We got. But I would. I would dare them. Yeah. I would dare them. Are you guys ready for this? Yeah. Here we come. And yeah. I would. I would put the onus on Deshaun to see it, read it, and get the ball out. That okay. that I would challenge him to do that. Once he does that, once he does that, then I think then then they're in trouble. Then they better just shut the running game down. They better just shut our running game down and make everything about throwing the football. And then maybe you bring him from different angles. But I would test him with the nickel blitz, and then I would put two guys on Hopkins on every play, and would force one of the other receivers or tight ends to beat you. And I think they can. I, I think they can. But I would not let Hopkins get his at all. I just I'm taking him away, and I don't think they'll do that. I think they believe in Morris uh, Morris Claiborne and Tremaine Johnson, and if they decide to go one on one against Hopkins, they'll get destroyed. Johnny, thanks a lot. You got it, Mark. Check out all of John Harris's stuff on HoustonTexans.com. He's got the Telestrator, Know Your Foe. He's got observations, and he's all over Twitter at jharrisfootball. All right, time for Houston Methodist minutes with Dr. Pedro Coscuzuela from Houston Methodist West Hospital. How's it going, doctor? I'm doing great. How about yourself, sir? Doing very well. So let's talk about Achilles tendons. You and I have discussed this subject before. Let me ask you this, because we know it happens in professional sports. How often do you see this injury with weekend warriors or whoever in the real world, so to speak? That's actually the vast majority of our patient population. Even though we see it in athletes with uh, a pretty good frequency, the majority of the patients that I see in my office are patients who are picking up a sport for the weekend, haven't played football for a while, or more commonly than that, decide to play some basketball um, and then show up after they hear a pop when they land where they describe someone stepping on the back of their ankle. Uh, and as soon as we take a look at them, we know exactly what's going on. 
Doctor, with many pro athletes, is this the kind of injury that was going to happen one way or another? Maybe it was fraying or something, or is it just one of those random things? Tell me how that goes for the pros. So it's interesting. If you look at the literature, it suggests that people that have Achilles tendon ruptures usually present with Achilles tendon inflammation prior to the injury. But it is our experience here at Methodist Hospital that that's not necessarily true. I would tell you that the vast majority of the patients that we see in the office have no symptoms prior to it tearing. And the reason it tears, it's like a tug of war between your calf muscle and your heel. Your calf muscle is the motor part of your Achilles tendon, the tendon itself being the pulley. And that pulley attaches to the back of the heel. So what happens is your calf is trying to bend your ankle down, your foot is being bent up by the floor, and that tug of war leads to that rupture. We don't see it every time you have that type of maneuver, but that's the most common type of injury. What's the best prevention for Achilles tendon injuries? It's got to be stretching of some kind, but clearly the athletes are doing that in many cases. The reality is there's no way to prevent it. I mean, obviously, when we see patients that have inflammation of the Achilles tendon, we explain to them that they're at risk of a rupture. But these are sudden movements that cause that rupture. And so it it is impossible to prevent that, especially if you're an athlete and there are certain demands of the sport that have to be met. So it's one of those things that you play knowing that there's a chance that you may tear your Achilles tendon. And unfortunately, if it happens, then that's something that needs to be treated. Tell me about the minimally invasive surgical procedure you're doing known as PARS. So instead of making a large incision and visualizing the tendon, what we do is we make a very small one, and we have these special tools that direct our sutures into the Achilles. And that way, we don't have to strip a lot of the tissue surrounding the Achilles. We can retain a lot of the structures that provide blood flow and help with healing of the Achilles tendon rupture. Um, And it allows us to do so through a very small incision. Doctor, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for the uh, opportunity. Dr. Pedro Coscuguela from Houston Methodist West Hospital. Houston Methodist Orthopedics and Sports Medicine provides expert care and advanced technology to help athletes at all levels return to peak performance. Visit HoustonMethodist.org slash GameOn for more information about their customized treatment plans. The official health care provider of the Houston Texans, Houston Methodist Leading Medicine. Something's going on this Saturday. I just want to re-remind you. Can I re-remind somebody? Yes, I think I can. Presented by HEB, it's the running of the Bulls. This is the 2018 version, a little bit later in the year than usual. Running of the Bulls 5K run and walk. At NRG Park Saturday, the race finishes on the floor of NRG Stadium. All racers get a commemorative race t-shirt and entrance to the post-race party featuring free food and Bud Light and autographs with Texans cheerleaders and ambassadors. Visit HoustonTexans.com to sign up. And remember, it's a 5K, okay? It's not a marathon. You can do this. Go NRG Park this Saturday. Hey, that's going to do it for the show. Thank you so much for being with us, everyone. Have a great night, and go Texans.